Welcome to Refuge Church. My name is David. I'm one of the teaching ministers here at Refuge. It is so good to be able to worship with you guys tonight. We are going to continue in the series, The Difficult Truths of Jesus. And tonight we're going to look at one of the most well-known verses in the entire Bible. I mean, we see it displayed on billboards. We see it displayed on homemade signs. We actually see it displayed on the faces of NFL football players. Most of us in this room probably have this verse memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's John 3:16. But what does that really mean? And what are the verses that lead up to that one verse? This was yet another teaching of Jesus. This came from his mouth. These were his words. But what were his words leading up to that one verse? That very well-known verse. That's what we're going to look at tonight. As Brian mentioned to you last week, I grew up Southern Baptist. And yes, as he mentioned last week, I did enjoy a good potluck. <laughs> but now that I think about it, those potlucks were nothing but sneeze bars. Because you know the picture, everybody brings in a covered dish, but they're not covered, and then everybody hovers over it, and then there's no telling what kind of germs that's over all of these covered dishes. To this day, Adrian has time and time again begged me to go to Golden Corral or Bob Evans, and I refuse, probably because that is like one big Southern Baptist potluck. But if you like those places, more power to you, no judgment. I just don't. He does. I don't. But not only did I grow up Southern Baptist, I also went to a Southern Baptist seminary. Hindsight now is 2020, but if I could do it all over again, I would have never gone there. To be honest, to be transparent, I came out of that place thinking that I knew it all, that I had God all figured out because after all, I had a Master's of Divinity degree. Those three years was enough for me to know everything there was to know about God, and so many other people that I graduated with had that same attitude. The only reason why I'm glad I went there now was because I know that side of the coin. I know the beliefs that were hammered into my brain that took me years to chisel out of my brain when I renovated and deconstructed my faith in Jesus. Just like I know the arguments they make, just like Brian knows the arguments the Mormon church makes. Even if we live 100 years on this planet, we will never be able to figure out even a fraction of who God is and how amazing he is. Well, we're going to encounter another dude who was just like I was. He thought he had it all figured out until he encountered Jesus, and Jesus flipped everything on its head. His name is Nicodemus. The title of the message tonight is Nick at Night. And while this is not a show on Nickelodeon, this is the original Nick at Night, season one, episode one. 
But it's not the only episode with Jesus and Nicodemus, but this is the series opener. So we're going to read the verses that lead up to John 3.16. You're going to see them come on, coming on the screen. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied saying, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a religious ruler of his day. He knew the laws and he preached those laws. He thought he had it all figured out. But then he came to Jesus at night. Nick at night, get it? Probably so that nobody would see him talking to Jesus. If I keep doing this, I'm sorry, it's driving me crazy. You see, he had witnessed the miracles that Jesus was performing, and he had realized that Jesus had come from God. So he came to Jesus for a very important private conversation. But as soon as Nicodemus opened his mouth, begins with a conversation with a statement. I mean, Nicodemus didn't, didn't even ask Jesus a question. Nicodemus said, Rabbi, you're a good teacher. We know you come from God based on the miracles. And then I think Jesus knew that Nicodemus was going to ask him a question, and Jesus interrupts Nicodemus with this statement. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Some translations say, very truly, I tell you, what we just read. Some say, truly, truly, I tell you. Or some say, verily, verily, I tell you. But the Greek translation has it as amen, amen, I tell you, which is an emphatic term. Basically, Jesus is about to speak with an exclamation point. To put it bluntly, Jesus is probably saying, all right, Nicky boy, you better strap in because I'm about to say something important. So you better just sit down, shut up and listen to me. When Jesus says, 
Truly, truly, I tell you, in any of his teachings, he's about to slam down the gavel to a very important teaching. And that's what he is about to do here with Nicodemus. And then Jesus makes this statement. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, keep in mind that Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was the religiously inclined of his day. Pharisees now carry a bad name for themselves for us today because Jesus had a fair amount to say about their hypocrisy. You see, Pharisees considered themselves morally head and shoulders above everybody else. They looked down on everybody. To give an example of a Pharisee, some people took a verse in Job, the Pharisees did, literally. These people were called the bleeding Pharisees. And there's a reason why. Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes to never look upon a beautiful young woman. Now, the Pharisees didn't realize that Job wasn't talking about that first look. You know, when you see somebody attractive and you look at them and you're like, good job, God. You spent a little extra time on that one. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the second longing, lustful look. When you look at that person and you not only say, good job, God, but you're thinking about what you would like to do with this creation of God. But these Pharisees took that verse literally and they decided that any time that they would go out of their house, they would either walk with their eyes shut or walk looking straight up in the air to avoid eye contact with any eye candy. Now, what, why do you think they were called bleeding Pharisees? It's obvious. If you walk around looking straight up or with your eyes shut, you're eventually going to run into things, run off things, get hit by a camel or something like that. And so these people were constantly bruised and bleeding. But that took a very high moral commitment to do that. My point is that Nicodemus was a man of incredible moral achievement. He was a faithful, religious, Jewish man. Jesus recognized this and, and then says, Nicodemus, none of that counts with God. Except a man be born again, he can never enter the kingdom of God. There is no good thing we can do to enter the kingdom of God. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags before a righteous God. You can't be religious enough. You can't join enough churches. You can't do enough good morally. There's nothing that we can do on this planet to inherit the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes that clear to Nicodemus. And after Jesus made that statement about being born again, Nicodemus replied by saying, surely they cannot enter a second time into, into their mother's womb to be born. <laughs> now, I would have loved to have seen the look of, on Jesus's face after he said that. I mean, I tend to think, like Nicole said a few weeks ago, that Jesus, I think, sometimes gives you a sarcastic response or maybe roll his eyes at you, especially when somebody makes a stupid statement like Nicodemus just said. So Jesus replied with yet another emphatic statement by saying, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. 
You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Jesus is again saying, all right, Nicodemus, you need to strap in and pay attention to what I'm about to say again. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of, the, of water and the Spirit. Huh? Nicodemus was like, dude, I don't get this. And Jesus replied with this probably sarcastic statement. What don't you understand? Aren't you supposed to be one of the religious elite and already know these things, Nicodemus? But born of water and born of the Spirit, what does that mean? Does that mean that we must be baptized in the water in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, since I grew up Southern Baptist, we were dumped underwater. I went to a Southern Baptist seminaries, and I've heard many preach heavily on the, these passages of Scripture. You had to be dunked in the baptistry in the church. Actually, the pastor of one of the churches that I worked at almost drowned the people he baptized. Because this is what he did. Um, this is no joke. He would get them and he would dunk them. And now watch, he would dunk them. I now baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. You were buried with him in baptism, but you shall walk with him in the newness of life. And then bring them back up. All the while they're flailing underwater. <laughs> because they're about to meet Jesus in person. But this isn't what Jesus was referring to. He wasn't referring to being baptized. He was, he was referring to an actual birth. How many people in this room have seen an actual human birth before? I have never yet, but I hope to be able to witness the birth of my child this year. Now I've seen animals give birth. Have you ever seen a mama giraffe give birth? That's some crazy stuff. I mean, this giraffe drops this baby 14 stories down. And not only has it fallen 14 stories, but this giraffe barely has time to figure that out until his mom is kicking him and pushing him to get up to walk before a lion gets him. I digress. I just wanted to say that. All right, back to the water birth. Now, everybody knows that birth is accompanied or preceded by a flow of water from the mother's womb. That's the water birth. That was, was how it was referred to back then, the water birth. So Jesus is saying, you have to be born twice. Water birth, all right, we're halfway there because we've all been born. That's the physical birth and of the spirit, spiritually. Verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, the water birth, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, the spiritual birth. Now, our boy Nicodemus is puzzled yet again. How can the physical meet with the spiritual in order to enter the kingdom of God? Jesus responds with this statement. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, can you actually see the wind? No. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going, but you know that there's wind. Why? 
because you can see the evidences of it, whether it's a strong gusty wind or a gentle breeze. Well, the same is true when we are born of the Spirit. When we encounter the love of Jesus and we begin loving him and we, be, we become an apprentice, that's what we've been talking about, an apprentice of Jesus, then we start to see the evidences of what it means to be spiritually alive. We begin to show that fruit of the Spirit that we talked about a few months ago. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But why do you think Scripture mentions love first? Why do you think there's an entire chapter in the Bible devoted solely to love? Why do you think Jesus said the two greatest commandments involve love, love God, love people? Because Christians should be identified by the love we have for Christ and the love we have for others. But what do many people see from Christians? Hypocrisy, hate, mean and judgmental, even boring. The world, most of the time, they don't see the evidences of what it means to be spiritually alive from those who claim to know Jesus. So Jesus refers to the spiritual birth by using an example from the Old Testament, Numbers 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. I know you've seen this symbol in hospitals, on ambulances. It's a symbol of healing. The Greeks used it. But before the Greeks used it, they adopted it from this story from Numbers 21. You see, Moses was with the children of Israel when a plague of fiery serpents hit the camp. These fiery serpents were a specific type of cobra to where if you got bit, it would affect you hematoxic, your blood, and then neurotoxic, your brain. The first effect would be hemotoxic. When you are bitten, you feel like the places that you are bitten are literally on fire. And then it spreads throughout your whole body through your blood, where you feel like that your whole body is literally burning. And then your breathing becomes labored. labored. And then it affects you neurotoxically. People become, become insane from these bites. And in those days, there was no anti-venom. So if you were bitten, it's only a matter of hours before you die. A very gruesome, painful, agonizing death. And so there was no solution for these people in that camp. So Moses and a few others, they got together and began to cry out to God for help. So God told Moses to make a bronze replica, that's what we get that from, of the cobras and put it on a stand and place it in the center of the camp, high enough so everybody can see it. And God says that anybody who has been bitten and who looks at that replica will instantly be healed. So can you imagine 
Moses trying his best to hurry up and make that replica while he is watching his people literally die in front of him. Then can you imagine him running to the center of the camp and raising that staff as high as he possibly could and yelling, look and live. This is God's solution to our problem. Just look and you'll be healed. Jesus makes that analogy to then say the most well-known verse that we know, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. This was God's permanent solution to our problem. What's our problem? Sin. We have the poison of sin in our lives. And that's what separates us from a holy God. Because what I said earlier is that even our most righteous deeds are nothing but filthy rags before a righteous God. But God sent Jesus, lifted Jesus up on that cross for the, for the world, the entire world, for the entire human race to see. And he says, look at the cross and live. But let's look at verse 16 for a minute. Again, you know, the emphasis on that word believe troubles a lot of people because it seems like that we have to make an intellectual assent to certain Christian dogmas, to certain theological beliefs. But what if I told you that there's a different way to interpret this verse, this very well-known verse? In the original Greek, the word for believe is pistis, which can be translated as belief. But it just as easily can be translated as trust. If we were to translate pistis as trust, how does that shift the meaning of the passage for you? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever trusts in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. When we switch the word to trust, our minds can relax a little bit more. That's because trust isn't so much the work of the head as it is the work of the heart. Trust in Jesus is about following him. It's about imitating his life. Trust is about resting in Jesus. You can rest in Jesus and not worry about having to do something else in order to be, be his child because Jesus did it all for you. You know, this world can be a dark, dark place. Just turn on the news and you'll see. And Jesus didn't say for God so loved just his disciples that he came. Or Jesus didn't say for God so loved the world that he only loved a certain group of people that he came. No. God loves the world. And to show God's unconditional, universal love, God sent Jesus. And verse 17 says, God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save it. God so loves the Nicodemus in all of us. God so loves in a way that will disrupt, disrupt our three-point sermons, our doctrines, our dogmas, and our logical sensibilities. God so loves without any condemnation awaiting those who don't believe a certain way. Jesus didn't come to violently punish the world 
but to show God's nonviolent love. God's nonviolent love is ultimately revealed when Jesus was high and lifted on the cross like that bronze serpent. God responds with divine love and forgiveness when Jesus was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You know, when we become too sure of what we think we know about God, we can expect a demanding, piercing light to interrupt that, just like it did for me, just like it did for Nicodemus. Our certainty will be overturned, our black and white religion undone, our neat little categories will be upset. And that's the best part of all of it. Because when we're pulled out of our religious comfort zones, wrestled away from what we think and believe about Jesus, then we're invited to experience the miracle of a new perspective, of a new walk with him. It's not about what we know. It's about what we have been freely given by Jesus being raised on that cross. We are drawn to this love of Jesus. We are surrounded by it and filled with it. And when we become so loved by this love of Jesus, then we have plenty of this love flowing out of us. We become spiritually alive. As I close, I want to make this one last statement. Each day of your lives, embrace your identity as a beautiful child of God, no matter what. It's not about what you know. It's about what you've been given. Because the son of all humanity was raised on that cross for the world to see. And he is inviting us to look and live. As the worship team comes up, we're getting ready to sing an amazing song. Song that I feel summarizes this message tonight. The song starts off with these words. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together. And every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing, nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you. Let's stand and continue worship.